Can I ask the Assembly Broadcasting to ensure that Starleaf meeting is now being streamed? Yeah. Okay. Can I welcome members to the 15th meeting of the Audit Committee? Uh, we have apologies from Daniel McCrossan, Chairperson, and Emma Rogan. Are there any other apologies? Chair, Alan is going to be here, but he's having difficulty getting in. Okay, Alan Chambers has difficulty getting in, but intends to be here during the meeting at a later stage. Can I remind members that they are obliged to declare any relevant financial or other interest before and during each committee meeting? Does any member have any interest to declare? Can I move on to the next item of business? Uh, can I inform members that the draft minutes of the meeting held on the 2nd of June 21 are at pages 6 to 10 of the meeting pack? Are members content that the minutes are a true reflection of the proceedings of the meetings? Okay. I will sign uh, those minutes in due course. Can I inform members that there are two items under matters arising at page 12 to 52? The meeting pack. Uh, item 1 of page 12 is a copy of NISPA uh, whistleblowing policy and details of the process for the removal of a member from the NIPSO Audit and Risk Committee. This information has been provided following last month's session with NIPSO on the committee re committee's review. Can I ask members if they are content to note the documents of this stage as they will be considered as part of the committee's deliberations? Okay, Jim. Um, item 2 of page 52 is correspondence from uh, NIAO regarding the its June monitoring round return. Uh, the return is in line with information provided at last month's meeting. Can I ask members, are they content to note? Okay. Next item of business review. We have the review of governance and accountability arrangements for the Northern Ireland Audit Office. NIAO and the Northern Ireland Public Services Ombudsman in NISPO, oral evidence from Audit Scotland. Um, can I refer members to page 54 to 108 of the meeting pack for the relevant papers? Can I remind members that the committee agreed to invite the chairpersons of strategy, statutory uh, audit boards to give evidence on its review of the governance and accountability arrangements for the NIEO and NIPSO. The National Audit Office and Audit Wales give evidence at last month's uh, committee meeting. Uh, can I inform members that uh, Professor Alan Alexander, Chairperson of Audit Scotland, will attend today's meeting to give evidence as part of the committee's review. Chair. I have to check as he with us yet? Chair, um, there's difficulty in um, Professor Alexander joining the meeting, so um, one of the team are going to check whether we can bring forward the next agenda item, which is evidence from the Audit Office, the CNAG. And right, the we'll hold it a second to check then. Just going to check. Um, you might want to move on to um, item 7, which is consideration of thresholds of the Committee input to year adjustments in relation to the Commission. Uh, at what page is that? Uh, it's at page 10. Okay. Just, 
Um, item 7, what is the Northern Ireland Audit Office Assembly Commission Budget Consideration of Thresholds and Committee Input into Year Adjustments. Uh, for our members to pages 122 to 140 of the meeting pack for relevant papers. Uh, can I remind members that thresholds for committee scrutiny of the Commission's in-year adjustments have not yet been agreed? And the clerk's going to speak to us on this issue. Okay, the, the sec members, the Secretariat paper sets out the background to this, but the methodology that we use um, refers to the committee's input to in-year adjustments to the Commission's budget. Um, and if I can just quote from that, the submission of the Commission's contribution to monitoring rounds and the spring supplementary estimate will be subject to agreed thresholds between the Commission and the Committee. And if these thresholds are not exceeded, the Commission will not seek the Audit Committee's view on its in-year position. Um, the briefing paper that was submitted by the Commission last September, um, the Commission proposed that an in-year adjustment of plus or minus 10% of the Commission's agreed budget for a year should be brought to the Committee for its view. Now, the Committee didn't... Um, respond to the proposal at that time and the, the relevant extract from that briefing paper is at um, Appendix B which is page 126 of the meeting pack. Um, so to help inform the committee's consideration of this it uh, requested a, a raised briefing paper um, and it provides comparative research um, in relation to counterparts in UK, Wales, Scotland, the Republic of, of, of Ireland. So the briefing paper is at page 127. So I, I suppose that the key question for, for, the, um, for the committee is to form a view on what thresholds should apply in relation to scrutiny of the Commission's um, monitoring round submissions or in-year adjustments. Okay. Could the clerk tell us, remind us what 10% of its annual budget amounts to? I can look that up for you now. Do you have any view on. Oh, I will. That's probably. I think it's important that. I think what they're, what they're saying is that. Up to, up to 10 percent, is it, or one per yeah, plus or minus 10 percent? So that's plus or minus 10 percent. Well, that, I suppose the Jim, the member, or the other member is probably right in asking the question what is 10 percent because that could that, that could make a difference, you yeah. know, yeah, what 10 percent yeah. likely is in, yeah. in real terms. Apologies, I'm having difficulties in calling this up here, but um, I can get it for you. Hopefully, get it for you very quickly. Ports. Apologies for the delay. Well, sometimes when you're looking at something, it's not easy to find. Uh, I, I did have this figure. Uh, unfortunately, I, I didn't lift it. So, um, a resource budget of 49.33k and a capital 
Dell budget of 1684K. So if you're taking 10 so it's 50 million? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. So we're being asked to not look at expenditure that should could come up to an adjustment of up to five million. I yes. certainly wouldn't be happy with that. And I suppose, um, you know, in the, the protocol that's been agreed, it's, you know, a, a, a threshold that's agreed between the committee and the commission. So, you know, if you reach a position on what you would be happy with, um, we could then start liaising with the commission in relation to that. Yes. Sir. 1% will still be half a million pounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if you have, I mean, the research paper looked at at other areas, um, so there's there seems to be a sort of varied and ad hoc approach um, to in year scrutiny. But if you look at Wales and the, the equivalent body, if a supplementary budget is required, then the supplementary budget will be considered by the committee. If no supplementary budget is required, then a written report providing explanation of any significant budget transfers is required. And in Scotland, the Scottish Parliamentary Corporate Body, it has a, a written agreement with the Finance and Constitution Committee just to keep both the committee and the Scottish Government informed of any substantive changes. So I suppose I, you wanted to go down to look at what you what, feel is substantive. What, what substantive actually means. It can mean a lot. Uh, it could mean one million, it could mean five. Um, but, but, sir, where did this idea of 10% come from? That was um, a proposal by the Commission, mm. plus or minus 10%. Jim, uh, well, the Commission has asked us not to ask any questions of adjustments up to virtually £5 million. <laughs> not impressed. Do you want to make a proposal? Uh, do, we need, do we need a... Well, I don't... Uh, I, this is a commission which um, has a lot of power and a lot of mandatory draw on resources in that the Assembly effectively can't refuse their requests. Uh, to then add to that that we would not even examine yeah. adjustments seems to me out of the question. So uh, to me, it's, it should be anything. Um, I wouldn't like to say it above 1%, frankly. But I'm also conscious there's only two of us at this committee. Yeah. It's maybe, is, is there an urgency in making that decision, Clark? There isn't an urgency, but you've already had one monitoring round, you the June monitoring round, then you have the October, you know, in the January, the January um, is the, th the third in the round. So um, you can bring it back after, after recess if you want to give it some further consideration. We will be looking... Well, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking more... Uh, Two people who's, which is a minority on the committee, make a decision mm -hmm. that doesn't urgently have to be made because we'd be still making it in September. Yeah. Okay. Well, Might be the best practice, but I'm just putting down the marker that my view 1% would be more than enough. Yeah. We will be looking at um, codification of the committee's role in relation to the Commission's budget um, after recess, so it may well. You may well want to look at that in the round at that point. Mm. Yeah. One percent then equates to much, Jim. That equates to half a million. Half a million. Yeah, it's fairly sizable. Okay. A lot of money. Yeah. 
given. Okay, well, look. Well, I propose, Chair, that um, having expressed those views, we, we actually delayed the decision until September, which still gives us time for the October monitoring. Uh, I'm a wee bit anxious about only two people making a decision on this committee. Okay. 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 That's then we'll defer this to September. Okay. Um, then there's no letter to be issued. Then we'll, we issue a letter explaining that to them, I suppose. We have. Um, no, um, this is just, just what we can do. I'll just put it back on the agenda for the, the meeting that's scheduled for, for the end of September. If you just want to move on to the scrutiny schedules, go to the end. I know, yeah, we have to leave to come back to the other end, not right? Yeah. Um, next item of business, business scrutiny schedule for members to pages 142 to 144 of the meeting pack for the scrutiny schedule. Um, are members content to note that? Okay, Jim. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Uh, Move on to chairperson's business. Uh, can, can I inform members that the clerk and member support office is seeking expressions of interest for a member development session on effective questioning at the beginning of September? Any member wishing to express an interest should contact the clerk. Okay. In relation to committee input on uh, FRI matters during summer recess, inform members again that it is. Normal practice for committee to delegate authority to the chairperson and deputy chairperson during periods of recess to submit view, views on the releasing or withholding of information in any uh, non-routine contentious uh, freedom of information request received. In previous mandates, at the final meeting of each session, the committee agreed to this delegation of authority, and that the committee would be advised. Of any requests, the views uh, expressed by the chairperson or deputy chairperson and the response issued by the FOI unit at the first available meeting following the recess period. Members content to continue with this practice? Great. Okay. Going to correspondence and for members that there are eight items of correspondence in the meeting pack. Draw your attention to a number of them. Item 10 4 to page 223 is NISPO's report on PIP and the value of further evidence and investigation by NIPSO into PIP. Um, can I inform members that the Audit Committee's remit is concerned with the resources to carry out such investigations as it is the relevant statutory uh, committee to look at the policy issues? Members may therefore wish to note the report. And include consideration of the resources required to carry out such investigations as part of the overall scrutiny of the NISPO uh, budget. Uh, item 10.5, uh, page 590, is correspondence from the Finance Committee regarding the committee stage of the Financial Reporting uh, Department and Public Bodies Bill. Uh, can I ask members if they are content to seek comments from NISPO, NISPSO, and NAO? On the on the bill, members can okay. Inform members that a lower response is requested by the 3rd of September. An assurance has been received at official level that a response will be accepted at a later date. Okay, chairperson. Chair. Yeah. 
Can the House members be content to, to note the remaining items of correspondence? Okay. So we need, we need to go back then, do we? Yes. Over there. Okay. So we have to, Professor Allen, Peter. All right. Okay. Okay. Move to the next item of business. I'm told that audit office officials have arrived to review the governance and accountability arrangements for the Northern Ireland Audit Office and Northern Ireland Public Service Ombudsman, NIPSO and NIAO, or Levins. Could we just clarification, is Professor Alexander joining us at all, or is that how you I do you want to take him first then? Yes. Yeah, actually, yes, he has just joined, and we're maybe going to just be back and, and take him first. Okay. Well, okay. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. Just here. Yeah. Super. Okay. Sorry about that. We'll, we'll just do that now. Um, review of governance and accountability arrangements for Northern Ireland Audit Office (NIAO) and the Northern Ireland Public Service Ombudsman (NIPSO) R. Evans uh, from Audit Scotland. We can refer members to pages 54 to 108 of the meeting pack for the relevant papers. Remain members that the committee agreed to invite the chairpersons of statutory audit boards to give evidence on its review of the governance and accountability arrangements for the NIAO and NIPSO. The National Audit Office and Audit Wales give evidence at last month's committee. I, can I inform members that? Professor Alan Alexander, Chairperson of Audit Scotland, is now joining us uh, in the meeting to give evidence as part of the committee's review. Um, is, can I welcome uh, Professor Alan Alexander to Starley? Good to have you with us. Can you Thank hear? you, Chair. Okay. Can I ask you, uh, Alan, to make your uh, opening statement, please? And Thank you very much indeed and good afternoon. Apologies for the delay. The, the technology was fighting back a bit, but we managed to defeat it. Thanks for inviting me to contribute to the review and to give evidence today. Um, you asked me to provide information on how uh, the arrangements work in Scotland and how the Audit Scotland Board provides support and challenge. Um, first of all, how, do we, how does public audit in Scotland work? In Scotland, the Auditor-General was responsible for the audit of central government, NDPBs, health bodies, and the further education sector. Uh, the Auditor-General is a Crown appointment made on the recommendation of the Scottish Parliament. The Accounts Commission for Scotland is responsible for the audit of local government bodies, including Scottish Councils and the Integration Joint Boards for Health and Social Care. There are 12 members of the Accounts Commission, and they are appointed by Scottish ministers. Audit Scotland provides services to the Auditor General and the Accounts Commission to enable them to discharge their respective uh, statutory responsibilities. My board, Audit Scotland, has a statutorily defined a composition. As five members are set out in the Public Finance and Accountability Scotland Act 2000. And these five are the Auditor General for Scotland, Stephen Boyle, who is also uh, the Accountable Officer for Audit Scotland, the Chair of the Accounts Commission, uh, 
Emma Murray, who's the former chief executive of North Ayrshire Council, uh, and she was chair of the Society of Local Authority Chief Executives in Scotland in 2013. She currently chairs uh, Young Scott, and she is a board member of Scotland's Rural University College. Then there are the three independent members of the board appointed by the Scottish Parliament's Scottish Commission for Public Audit, or SCPA. These are myself, with a background in academia, starting as a lecturer in politics, and then switching to become Professor of Public Sector Management at the University of Strathclyde Business School. I've been a councillor, I've been Chair of Scottish Water, and I'm a former General Secretary of the Royal Society of Edinburgh. Colin Crosby, who chairs the Audit Committee, is a chartered accountant and lawyer, most of his career in financial services, before roles as either chair or non-executive director and a wide range of public and private sector organisations. Jackie Mann, who chairs our remuneration committee, is, has a background of more than 30 years' experience in HR in the UK and overseas. She's a for, former board member of Developing the Young Folk, young workforce. She served on the Children's Panel for Scotland and she's a Justice of the Peace. There's some very key points to note, Chair, about what my board does, or rather what it doesn't do. The board does not have a role in setting the scope and focus of the audit work. That's done by the Auditor General and by the Accounts Commission, and the work is done in accordance with the relevant auditing standards and code of practice. My board's role is very much about the strategic running of the business. It's not about the focus of audit work, and it's not about the operational management of the business. That's for the management team. The board and its two main committees are all chaired by the independent members. And as I said earlier, and quite significant, the Auditor General is, Scott, is Audit Scotland's uh, accountable officer. The board meets seven or eight times a year, Audit Committee five times, Remco four times. I think it's important also to note what the parliamentary arrangements are, Chair. The Scottish Parliament's uh, Scottish Commission for Public Audit scrutinises and recommends Audit Scotland's budget proposals to the Scottish Parliament. It also scrutinises performance when considering the annual report and accounts of uh, and our audit quality reports. It focuses on Audit Scotland, not on the audit work itself. It also commissions an annual appraisal of my performance as chair. The Scottish Parliament considers audit reports made by the Auditor General. The, Parliament, the Parliament's Public Audit Committee considers all reports made by the Auditor General. Other parliamentary committees also take evidence on the reports relevant to the respective remits. There were, just to give you a flavour of that, 43 parliamentary engagements uh, during the 20-21 session. Finally, the board's support and challenge role. Board members, as I've tried to indicate, have a breadth of knowledge and experience, and they apply that in providing both support and challenge in a wide range of areas covered by the board and its committees. I'll come to a little detail in a moment. Support and challenge for us go hand in hand. They're complementary and not mutually exclusive. The board's focus on, is on strategy and direction. This includes corporate plans, ensuring crucially that they reflect the needs of the Auditor General and the Accounts Commission, 
strategies and plans on themed areas, for example, people, digital, financial, diversity, sustainability, etc., and budget development and the approval of key policies. We also scrutinise very carefully performance by regular, and that means at every meeting of the board, reports both on corporate performance and financial performance, and also the progress of our ongoing improvement plan. Audit Committee focuses on audit quality, financial management, risk management, internal audit, and the annual uh, assurance process, and on business continuity, which of course was extremely important uh, when the pandemic hit. The Human Resources and Remuneration Committee focuses on pay and conditions and reward structure, talent management and succession planning, decisions <coughs> and management team appointments, pay and early retirement applications. I think it's important to stress, Chair, that beyond the formal meetings, board members have regular contact with senior officers. These provide an opportunity to be kept abreast of developments and key issues and to ask questions and provide support. The board is a key role in budget development process and subsequently in sessions with the SCP on the budget and on the annual report and accounts. This year, for example, we had a, very, a major uplift in our budget and we had to justify that both at the board and then before the SCPA. We also host an annual SCPA business planning session, which provides an opportunity for engagement with SCPA beyond the formal evidence sessions. I hope this is helpful, Chair, and I'm very happy to answer any questions, uh, either to elaborate on what I've said or to comment, if I can, on other matters. Thank you very much indeed. Can I thank you very much, uh, Professor Alexander, for your, uh, your opening statement. Can I ask, uh, what do you believe, what are the merits of having a code of practice as opposed to a memorandum of understanding? And is the board's code in statute? Uh, the, the board's code is not in statute, and we don't have a memorandum of, of understanding. Um, I've been on the board now for uh, nearly four years, and um, sorry, nearly three years, and I think I've only referred to the code of conduct, code of conduct, co conduct once in that time. Although, uh, let me stress that we. Uh, review it on an annual basis and uh, make any changes that we deem to be necessary. I think it's always important to have a, a, have a, a code of conduct, but if the organisation is working well, and I think we are, it should be, as it were, um, a long stop rather than something that is, uh, that is in our minds continuously. Okay. Thank you. Uh, any other members want to ask a question? Yeah, I, I have a few questions if we could. Uh, Professor, if you could change anything about the Scottish setup, what would it be? Um, I think there is a case, although it's not one that has been uh, uh, taken up so far, there is a case for having a, a slightly larger board, which would mean uh, a couple more, perhaps, um, independent members. Um, I don't think that is in any way urgent. I think we do a good job. But what I'm asking your question is, as directly as I can, Mr Alistair, and that is to say, you know, that if I was king for a day, I think that's the change I would make. Yeah. Just to take you back over the, the various um, 
arrangements. You have the Auditor General, you have the Audit Commission, and then the you have the, uh, the statutory board. Yeah. Um, what does the what does the Commission do in all of that? What what does the Accounts Commission do? Yeah. It, it, it's responsible for the audit of all Scottish local government bodies and it determines what its audit programme is in any given year. So it deals and only with local government? Only with local government and with local government related bodies. Everything else is done by the Auditor General. And is it independent of or an adjunct of the Auditor General? It's independent. Uh, the, uh, bo both set up by the same piece of legislation, but the Auditor General is appointed by the Crown on the advice of the Scottish Parliament, whereas the members of the Commission and indeed its Chair and Deputy Chair are designated by the Scottish Ministers. Yes. And has local government itself any input into that? Not directly. Um, what one doesn't know is the degree of consultation that might go on behind the scenes. But the, the process of recruitment of members to the Accounts Commission and the appointment of chair and, uh, and deputy chair are, is the exclusive preserve of the Scottish ministers. Do you think that's a more healthy arrangement than one where the, there would be a section of the Auditor General's office looking after local government? Well, what I would say is that it works very effectively, and, and I think that um, uh, the Accounts Commission is held in fairly uh, very high regard by Scottish local authorities, and they accept that this is uh, a responsible way to do their audit. And what it does, of course, is to produce a, another centre of expertise uh, to underpin the audit process. And how do they maintain their independence from local government? Avoid becoming too cosy with them. Well, the, their independence is, is is rooted in, as you mentioned yourself a moment ago, in the legislation and by the fact that they are appointed not by local government itself, but by the Scottish ministers, and they do act in an entirely independent way. They maintain very close contact with local government, as you as you would expect. But I don't think. I mean, I was a member of the Accounts Commission um, for six years, and there was no point at which I thought our um, independence was in any way compromised. Would there be individual members of that uh, government audit commission allocated to work with a particular local government in a in a in one area? Or, or would, there, would they have a general oversight, which means the officers involved are, are never constant, they're changing? No, I think, I, I think um, it's important to see the Accounts Commission as having general oversight of local government. It does the auditing, the financial audit of the accounts, but it also is responsible for auditing best value. Now, in the case of best value, when it has follow-up meetings with the councils that have been um, examined, then the Commission will nominate uh, two of its number to go and meet with the Council. When, for example, an audit, a, a best value report will, will typically include um, an improvement plan that is recommended to the Council. And in that case, um, I'm assuming, and I 
the, the, uh, it operates the same way as it did when I was on, then a couple of members from the Accounts Commission would do that follow-up. Right, but I'm, I'm interested, um, is there a situation where it's always the same officers for a particular council? No, no. Uh, that, uh, that, that, it would be done entirely ad hoc, and, it, and you, you have and to... why is that important? Sorry? Why is that important? I, th I think it's important because <laughs> there is such a thing as institutional capture, and I think it would it, it, it's it's the an, the analogous uh, position is with auditors, professional auditors, where there is a there is a, a a good practice which involves rotation of the auditors, and I think the same the same principle applies. So, in terms of your position as chair, just remind us who appointed you. I'm, I'm appointed by the Scottish Commission for Public Audit, which is a parliamentary body. So ministers have no input into the appointment of myself or the other two independent members of the board. And the Auditor General has no input? The Auditor General has no input either. No, he is, he is a Crown appointment. And I think it's quite important that and there's a sense in which his, in, his independence supports mine and vice versa. So what would you think of a situation if, in your circumstances, the Auditor-General appointed you? Um, that would change the pattern fundamentally, because the fact that he is independently appointed and I am independently appointed supports the independence of both of us. It also makes it easier for us to have the kind of working relationship that's essential, given that Audit Scotland provides the services that allow the Auditor General to do his job. Is there any duration limitation on the length of time someone can serve in any of those posts? The Auditor General is appointed for an eight-year non-renewable non non term, and the independent members of the board are appointed for uh, a three-year term renewable once. And it is from these, from among these three, that the Scottish Commission for Public Audit appoints the chair. So I had been, just to, to round that out for you, I had been, I became a member of the board in October of 2018 and I became chair of the board in April of 2020. Both appointments made by, uh, independently by the um, Scottish Commission of Public Audit. I should perhaps add to that, Mr. Alistair, that I have no, I have no input at all into the recruitment, recruitment of my own colleagues. You know, we, they, they, I have two new colleagues whom incidentally I've never met because of the way we've been working since last year, but I had no idea who was being considered for appointment to my board and who was being appointed to it until the SCPA made its announcement. And many of those are full-time appointments? Uh, only the Auditor General. Yeah. Uh, my own, my own um, appointment is based on the expectation of three, three to four days a month. Uh, other board members two to three days a month and I 
think that the chair of the Accounts Commission is 8 to 10, and the members of the Accounts Commission are 3 to 4. But I'm subject to correction on that. But it's, but it's of, of that order. And are there any limitations on what the holder of any of those offices can do after they leave office? I'm afraid I'm... Oops, we lost you. You, you were asking about limitations, Mr. Alistair. Could you try it again? Are there any limitations upon pursuits that the holders of those offices can uh, pursue after they leave office? I'm not hearing anything, I'm afraid. Hmm. Right. Okay. Looks if we've lost a chair. Looks like, looks like that. Yeah. Well. We're... Oh, we got, probably got enough. Got, I probably did, yeah. Let's... Got him back on now. Is he back? Hello? Professor? Can you hear us? Professor Alexander, can you hear us? No, it doesn't look like you can hear us at all. I think we... Just move to say we've got... Yeah, just, just to say we thank Professor Alexander very much for his input and we'll move on, I think. We don't, don't think we're going to be able to pick him up again. OK. Uh, uh, but, uh, this is on Hansard, yes? Yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, we go on to the next item of business and uh, review of governance and accountability arrangements for the Northern Ireland Audit Office, NIAO, and Northern Ireland Public Service Audmansman. Uh, oral evidence. Uh, refer members to page 110 to 120 of the meeting pack for relevant papers. Uh, and inform members that Kieran Don Donnelly, uh, controller. Comptroller and Auditor General Martin Pitt, Chair of the Northern Ireland Audit Office Board, and Rodney Allen, Director of Northern Ireland Audit Office, will attend today's meeting to give evidence as part of the committee review. Can I welcome Kieran Donnelly in person, and I think Martin Pitt's here also in person, and Rodney Allen is in Starleaf. And can I invite Kieran maybe to make the opening statement? Okay, right, uh, welcome. Thank you very much, Chair, for the opportunity to, uh, to address the committee. Uh, I would say, first of all, I welcome the committee's review of governance. I think it's a good thing, and there are some historical anomalies that uh, you know, can, can be addressed. Um, in my own office, I, I was very keen to you know, strengthen up governance and be in line with, with good practice and uh, when we embarked on a transformation project uh, a number of years ago one of the strands was to strengthen governance and part of that was to strengthen um, I suppose my advisory board which uh, Martin chairs and at the back of my mind uh, was that uh, if the assembly was uh, in future inclined to, to create a statutory board uh, the adjustment from a st an advisory board would not be a big one. Okay. Uh, now, uh, I think, uh, and I've been following carefully just uh, the various evidence sessions you've had uh, so far, and uh, one of your 
the committee's line of questioning has, has been very much around, uh, you know, the importance of a challenge function to myself and, uh, and to my office, and, and whether and to what extent uh, you would get more of a challenge function with a statutory board than you would with a, an advisory board. Uh, and I think those are perfectly legitimate questions uh, for, for this committee to, to ask, uh, because uh, with my audit hat on, I, I ask similar questions of the, the public bodies that, that I audit. I suppose the only thing I would say is um, sometimes you do get cosy relationships between uh, you know, boards and, uh, and executive senior management. Just because you have a statutory board isn't necessarily uh, a guarantee that, that you won't have a, a cosy relationship because in the past I have pulled up uh, you know, a few statutory boards uh, where the relationship wasn't quite right. But it's absolutely right that this committee is asking those type of questions. Now, if you do decide uh, to go down, say, the statutory board route, uh, you know, there's some things that I think are important to consider. And one would be, uh, you know, conflicts of interest. Uh, and why I raise that when we embarked on you know, strengthening our advisory board many years ago, uh, I remember sitting on a, a chair in a panel, and there was a former member of this committee sat with me on the panel, and we thought, we, we have got a good field here. Uh, and then um, a successful person rang me up and said, by the way, I've been offered another position as a, a chair of uh, as one of our leading arm's length bodies. And I said, well, you can't do both. That, that's a conflict of interest. Uh, and um, because we audit every other public body in Northern Ireland, we have to be very careful then. We don't have people sitting on our board uh, that are also the board. So that, uh, and I hadn't appreciated just how difficult that was maybe when we first tried to develop our board not many years ago. And uh, so we have to take extra steps to make sure we have a, a good quality field that, that, that we're not handicapped by ruling people out. Uh, we will rule people out because of conflicts of interest, but we need to cast the net fairly wide so that we have others that come through that don't have conflicts. So I just wanted to register that point more than anything else. Independence of mind is really important, uh, you know, in any type of board. And um, I think uh, when we're involved in, uh, you know, recruiting and Martin and others over the years, uh, you know, one of the things that would have been tested quite rigorously would be that independence of mind uh, and the capacity to challenge as well as to support uh, and to get a good balance uh, between the two of those things. So that, that's usually important. That's probably all I want to say on boards. Uh, there's other sort of uh, historical anomalies around the, the governance of, of my office. Some of them are throwbacks to the time that uh, the audit office was part of the, of the civil service. Uh, one of them is uh, the actual the appointment of the auditors that, that audit us. Uh, that actually rests with the, the Department of Finance. Uh, by rights, that should really be uh, something for the assembly. And another historical anomaly is uh, when I was appointed as uh, controller and auditor general, 
I also have a letter of appointment as a counting officer for the Northern Ireland Audit Office. That letter of appointment came uh, from the Department of Finance. That's a bit of an anomaly because we audit the Department of Finance. So I think those sort of things should uh, be anchored in the Assembly, in the Legislature, rather than on the executive arm of, of government. Uh, another thing we, we put through in the submission was maybe an opportunity to regularise um, just the whole interface between central government and local government audit. Uh, my remit uh, is on central government audit, but I have no locus on local government audit. So, audit. so th there is an argument that we could have a, a one-stop audit shop that covers both uh, central and local government, and that's the way the system works in Wales. Um, there's other things you're, you're interested in, and it's probably not for me to comment on, like the, the tenure of the, the CNAG, so I'll, I'll not really comment on that one. But uh, I very much welcome your, uh, the fact that the committee is looking into all of these matters. Okay. Thank you. And uh, I'll pass okay. to, to Martin. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, uh, Chair. Um, what I would like to cover is just very briefly my own experience and, and then really how the advisory board works so that the committee can compare and contrast uh, with what you've heard from others. So I'm an accountant by profession. Um, I've worked for over 30 years uh, for PricewaterhouseCoopers as an audit partner specialising in public sector audit and focused uh, very much on governance and, and risk management. Since I've retired, um, I have been involved with a number of boards, mostly uh, charities, uh, as well as undertaking the chair's role here. Um, I also um, am a, an audit committee member uh, in the Republic of Ireland with the Health Service Executive. Um, I was appointed um, in response to an advertisement I, I saw and um, I worked with three other board members. Um, one, a professor in accounting at Queen's, uh, another, uh, an auditor who spent most of his years working in the bank and, and uh, finally a, a lady who, um, as well as being a former chair of the Labour Relations Agency, really has a health uh, as a human resources background, uh, working in the health service. So, um, for me, the, the key uh, to to this is not actually the, the structure that you put in place. I think that's entirely uh, up up to yourselves. But I think it is important, from my perspective, that you get people with the right expertise and experience, so that there is um, a professional respect in in working with uh, the controller and your general, but also a healthy tension. And that would be my. Uh, key takeaway. Um, in terms of how the board works, we, we, we meet four times a year uh, at least and it's, the board is supported by an audit and risk committee and uh, a remuneration and human resources committee. Um, in terms of the work, right at the outset I agree to terms of reference with Kieran um, in terms of what the scope of our work would be. It is based on the memorandum of understanding that this committee has, um, but as you know, that it needs updated. So I also took account of the National Audit Office Code of Practice and indeed the similar documents in Scotland and Wales. So um, the scope of the work really focuses on um, the processes that the, the Audit Office uh, focuses on. So it's the areas we would cover, business transformation, risk management, corporate planning. 
what it doesn't cover, and it specifically says this, it doesn't cover the areas that really fall to the CNAG to um, make judgment on. So what should be audited, that is not something that the advisory um, board look at. Um, for me, we're there to, to challenge and to um, basically advise Kieran uh, in his role. So that is the major difference. We have no authority to compel. We can make recommendations, we can advise, but we can't force any action. Um, I'm happy, Chair, to explore anything else, but I'll stop now and, and answer any questions that uh, members may have. Thank you. Okay, and thank you both very much. Um, Kieran, can you identify any reasons why you as a uh, controller and uh, auditor general uh, need to lead on estimates employing staff and procuring services? Would these rules sit any better with the statutory body? Uh, I'd be pretty agnostic on, on, on that aspect, Chair. Um, okay. There are different, uh, in the National Audit Office, I think the, those roles actually sit with the, the statutory body. Uh, so I, I don't have a firm view one way or the, the other on that one, Chair. Okay. Uh, uh, is there any particular aspects of National Audit Office board arrangements seem over-elaborate in, Northern Ireland, in a Northern Ireland context? Um, not so much maybe the National Audit Office. Uh, I think you also had evidence from Wales. They have quite uh, an involved arrangement. Uh, it actually includes um, members of staff have can be elected to their board. That's quite novel and, and unusual. Um, there's other things I think to take into account. I think it's the, the number of uh, board members that would be you know, proportionate, that you don't have too many, that okay. you would have a, a sensible sort of balance between non-executives and executives. Uh, so it wouldn't be right, for example, that yeah, uh, a board was dominated by the executives. The non-executives should be predominant, and that's something we call for in our, uh, in our audit work as well. With my um, advisory board, uh, I have a seat on that, and with Rodney Allen, my chief operating officer, and the four non-execs, so it's a 4-2 split, four non-execs and two. I, I, I think that's good. You wouldn't want any more internals on it, and I think that's the right way to work. Uh, but I think it, it's, it is important in, uh, in designing maybe any new arrangements that they're, they're proportionate, that they're not over elaborate. Sometimes we see very, very large boards, maybe that are too big. Yeah. So, so th these things need to be thought through carefully, uh, and uh, I suppose it's not for us to say uh, exactly how the formulated, but what factors you would take into account in any design, uh, and one would be uh, proportionality, yes, uh, another one then would be independence to make sure whatever arrangements are come up with that it doesn't cut across or compromise the independence of the the CNAG, and also above all to make sure then whatever solution is there is um, you have the right sort of checks and balances at the top of the organisation. So those are probably the three things that would influence what what solution. I would I would have thought for me you know it's not the size but the right people 
in the right position, the right of people, the right people, and it's important that the right people are appointed. Um, I couldn't agree more with that, and I said that yes, you can look at structure and form, uh, but even more important is having the right people, yeah. and then what mechanisms that could be used to attract the right people. Yeah, yeah, that's important too. Yeah. And the, 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 it's not everyone wants to do do that job either. I'm sure you know. Sure, maybe I could interject and say I think that's actually the critical point: getting the right people yeah. in the role. So there, there is that healthy tension, as I call it, um, but also professional respect that people understand what the role they're they're undertaking Who and can challenge. Who actually makes those appointments? Is it maybe a silly question, is it? Uh, right. At the moment, and this is one of the reasons you're looking at this, because the argument is, oh, those are CNAG's appointments, but um, it's caveated. Uh, so, that, for example, uh, the panel that made Martin's appointment, I chaired it, yes, uh, but also on the panel uh, was Leslie Hogg uh, from, from the Assembly, Chief Executive of the Assembly, and uh, Robin Swan, the, the former chair of uh, PAC. Um, and I think that actually was during when the assembly was down that we made that. Uh, if the assembly had been sitting, there would, would probably been the chair of this committee would uh, yeah, put okay. on that. Uh, and that was, that's the way, that was the arrangement set out in the the memorandum uh, between my office and this committee, which Martin says is, is outdated and it, it needs revised, irrespective then of what, what other structures are, yeah. are put in place. Uh, it's important to, in any organisation not to have an over-bureaucratic, I think, or I, I always thought in any organisations that I own in my lifetime. Any other members, uh, questions, my way? Yes, sir, I have a few questions, if you could. Uh, Mr Pitt? So you were appointed onto this oversight body by a panel chaired by the man whose office you're overseeing and then he sets or agrees your terms of reference. Yes. How do you think that looks? No, I mean, from my perspective, um, that is the, the best arrangement given the legislation. If I had a free choice, I would prefer that it was um, undertaken by someone independent um, of the CNAG. Um, but we're an advisory board, so at, at the end of the day, the role was to support Kieran. Um, it's per, my preferred model would be that it was totally independent uh, of, of Kieran. So the role is to support the controller, not to challenge. Yes. Not to challenge. No, it's challenge and support. I mean, you've got to do both. But at the end of okay, the day, give me an example, and you don't. I'm not asking you to break any confidences, but give me a, a generic example of where and when the uh, committee that you chair has challenged yes. the controller, not to general. Okay, um, so take the, the corporate planning process. Um, that would be one example where the process had historically been that the, the office would prepare the corporate plan um, and it would come to the board effectively for a, um, approval, but to all intents and purposes, it was complete. 
Um, we felt that was not appropriate, and what we did was we we said to Kieran, and um, we would like to be involved right at the start. Um, so we actually arranged a workshop um, with the staff who would be involved in that to actually give our ideas and our thoughts on how um, the plan for the office could be set up. Um, and therefore we were involved all the way through the process to help shape that. At the end of the day, Kieran agreed um, to that proposal. We, we did the workshop. So, um, it worked in practice, so we changed the way the corporate planning process was done to what we believe was a, to achieve a better outcome. Um, and that's, that's done by a committee upon which the controller of the General sits as an equal member? Yes, he, he is, but I mean he is in a minority, so the, the majority of the, the committee um, make the decisions. But as I've said right at the start, um, at the end of the day we're only advisory. So all we can do is we can recommend to Kieran as to how he proceeds. He can um, quite legitimately refuse our advice if that's I, how it works. And, I, and I've, worked at, I've worked from time to time in some of your minutes. Maybe they don't record this, but I can't recall reading that a majority of the committee decided anything different from what Mr Donnelly was comfortable with. Is that fair? Um, has there been a fundamental disagreement? No, there hasn't. Um, but I mean, what we do is we, we put forward what we believe is the way forward, um, and it's for Kieran to accept or reject that. I don't think but, the minutes. But the we, Mr. Pitt. The we, we Mr. Pitt, we pledge, Mr. Donnelly. Sorry, so sorry. We, the board, put forward a, a way forward. But at the end of the day, the decision rests with with Kieran. Yes, but but. The board includes Kieran. It does, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know if you heard the evidence just before you from the Scottish no. arrangements, did you? No, unfortunately um, not. Unfortunately, no. We we weren't able yeah. to link into that. Well, uh, it, it certainly does uh, have front and centre the whole appearance and actuality of independence. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I think you, you all agree is, yes. is missing here. Yes. Just on your minutes, um, I previously raised the fact that, that there seemed to be quite a time lag in minutes being available for public inspection. Uh, has that changed? I don't, I mean, uh, they, they follow through the process where they're approved at the, the next meeting and then are immediately published. So there is the time, time lag between meetings, um, except that, but... Uh, I, think, I think we'd be happy to... No, I mean, if, that if, if, if people felt it was better to do it more quickly, that can be looked at, absolutely. It's, it's a, yes, I think it might be. Okay. So in terms of the local government side here, and here I, I declare an interest chair that I am presently a complainant in respect of conduct of a certain council which is supposed to be being investigated by the local government audit side of things. So I do declare that interest. But Mr Pitt, you've indicated that uh, you cover the controller and auditor general in terms of advice. Who performs that role of challenge to the local government auditor? 
our role extends as far as the audit office, um, but no, our, our remit does stop with uh, the controller and auditor general. And so, 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 who does exercise that challenge role to the local government auditor? I don't know the answer um, to that question. Let's maybe get back to first principles on this. Um, we, we would have uh, quality control arrangements that would straddle central and local. So, so let's say, for example, there's an, indep uh, an independent uh, review of a sample of audits. Uh, I think local government audits are included in that sample yes. as well as central government audits. So in that sense, there is a... In that sense, there's a control mechanism. But is, does, it, does it fall within the ambit of the board? Is there a board who oversees the local government auditor? What, no, it wouldn't be explicit, Mr. Alistair. It may be. No. Uh, I, I think. Was it even implicit? Mr. Mr. Pitts just told me they take nothing to do with that. So who does it? No one. Uh, well, I think it would be better, as, uh, as we have proposed, that uh, there was a one-stop auditor um, for the entire system. Then you would have real clarity on roles and responsibilities. Yes, and but but in, terms of, in, terms, no. in terms of real clarity, Mr. Is the, is the present situation that no one performs an oversight function, a challenge function, to the local government auditor? Well, what I would say is the corporate side of the Northern Ireland Audit Office will oversee the quality of all the audits, whether they're local government or central government. Yes, the quality of them you tell us, but in terms of the function that is, to the extent it is, performed in respect of you, there's no parallel function performed in respect of the local government auditor. Is that right? Uh, technically, yeah. technically, yes, I think. Yeah. That's right. But in practical terms, um, you know, we... we so I, I think the answer to your question is that there's no equivalency um, for the local government auditor. Having said that, the board will look at the audit office in totality, which does include the processes that cover local government. So we will look at the audit quality processes across the office. So so if, for example, I or someone else had cause to complain about the action or inaction of the local government auditor, would there be any point in such a complainant addressing anything to the board? I think yes, because the board will look at the complaints process um, in, in terms of if the process isn't working or if there's recommendations to be made as to how that can be improved. I think um, that's what the board's remit uh, covers. So it, it covers the process and if someone is unhappy with how the process is working, certainly that would be how you, we would certainly cover that. Um, in terms of actually dealing with individual processes, you know, the, you know individual complaints, the, the board don't take a role in, in that. So we look at the process, but we don't look at individual complaints. But the process is informed by, by how individual complaints are yeah. conducted, surely? Uh, yes, absolutely. So, I mean, we, we, we do take that on board. But what I've said is, um, 
we would have, if we do it as insofar as it impacts the process, to make sure it's being done correctly and that it's done within the timescales that are set out and it's, it's been properly followed by the office in how they've responded to complainants. And, and where that hasn't been the case, then what action that uh, the office is taking to, to remedy that and to improve it going, for going forward? quite clear that there's a considerable gap in oversight of the local government auditor. Um, I'd make a distinction, Mr. Adler, between oversight on audit judgments and uh, the processes that Martin was talking about. Um, certainly, I have no locus on the on the judgment side of, of things, I have no statutory role there. So, so you're you're right to that extent. Thanks for that. Okay, thank you, uh, members. Um, can I thank you, suppose, for coming along and giving your evidence? And uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch at a later stage. Uh, thank, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, um, can I ask members if they are content to write to the NAAO and the NAPSO to seek views on their respective memorandum of, under, memorandum of understanding uh, with the Audit Committee on how they could be strengthened and request details of any factual amendments that need to be made to reflect organisational or other changes? Well, why are we doing that if we're in the midst of a review as to whether, in fact, we need proper statutory footing for all of this? Um, That's, that seems to me to be uh, just to see how we can fix up the present system, whereas I think this is a review which is much more fundamental than that. Okay. Yes, I mean, I know the committee has to um, deliberate on the, on the evidence and make its recommendations, but... Um, that will take time if you know we need a legislative mechanism to to be able to make those changes. Um, so it's something that perhaps could be done in the meantime. So it's a stopgap. Well, I, I suppose it's um, making things factually correct until um, the committee decides on, on what it's going to recommend as the way forward. Will there be now, Jim? You can maybe. Keep us right on this. You, you, you know, Bobby, uh, is there time within this mandate when this is finished? To, no, to, it's not. Yeah. That's what I thought. I, th I think we'll probably get this report to the assembly within this mandate, but any follow-through legislation, yeah. obviously won't. Yeah. So you know, given given that, I suppose that's where I think coming yeah, from. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, as members content that there, all the necessary oral evidence has been taken to allow the committee to commence. Deliberations on the review after the summer recess. Are, is the only point that occurred to me was, um, I think within our review we are interested in the local government side of things as well. We could hear from the local government auditor, because the points that I was raising just a short time ago, I think, are very pertinent to that post. So I was wondering, should we in fact invite? the local government auditor to come before us. 
Is it within our well, if members are contempt, we can, we can do that, yes, because the local government auditor sits within um, the audit office. office. Okay, we, we can do that. But that's... We just might also establish the local government auditor moved on to other things, and I think that presently is only an interim. So it might be useful just for our own information to know is there a process of appointment underway, etc., or indeed has, has the post been properly and fully filled? Okay. Is that okay? Okay, everyone content? Yeah. I think that's all the business for today's meeting, isn't that right? The business. Yeah. Uh, that's all our business, so they can advise me. Any. There's no one has any other business they want to bring no. forward? No. Uh, can I say the date and time of the next meeting? Um, will be Wednesday the 29th of September in room 29 at 12.40pm and can I as uh, uh, Vice Chair wish everyone a, a good summer break and I hope you all have a nice break. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. The meeting is adjourned. Okay. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 29. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 29.